so we're continuing in our series today, uh, Guard Your Heart. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn to a very familiar portion of Scripture, Jeremiah 29, and we're going to start in verse 4, but we're eventually going to end up on verse 11. Now, verse 11 in Jeremiah, especially chapter 29, is uh, a very quintessential verse when, it talks, when we talk about Christianity. It's a verse that kind of tells us to keep our head up. It's a verse that tells us that tomorrow is going to be better than today. It's a verse that actually speaks to that we find ourselves in when we understand its history. But what I, what I want to come across with, I guess, in the beginning is if we're going to guard our heart, if we're going to guard our heart and our mind, we have to come to a place where we understand how to set reasonable and attainable goals that don't force us into a model of making excuses for what God hasn't done and what God isn't doing. And please understand, this is not talking about something in the natural. This is talking about something very, very specific and very spiritual. We never set goals without forcing ourselves into a, a corner on how we're going to accomplish them. We call somebody. We set up a meeting. We set up for a class. It's the basic law of inertia that if I'm going to set a goal, if I'm going to set a goal and, and, and reach this objective, the basic law of inertia says that I have to have some momentum to pull me towards the goal. And in our life, in our spiritual life, I think many times in, in, in situations like this, we become sedentary because we don't set real goals. We think things like, well, someday it's going to get better. Someday life will go back to normal. Someday things will go back to normal. They'll turn around. They'll turn the corner. Rather than setting goals in our personal life, rather than setting goals in our spiritual life and saying, no, no, we're going to set a timeline. We're going to believe God in full faith. And here's our deadline. Here's our timeline. Here's where we want to see it happen. Faith, real faith, this emotion that we have of faith sometimes shows up even on our face. You know, there's 80 muscles in your face that help you smile, that help you make facial, uh, uh, facial, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, like emojis. What, what do you call it? Expression. Facial expression. Emojis. I, it's, you can tell I grew up as a millennial. I relate uh, facial expressions to emojis. But there's 80 muscles in our face that help us manipulate our mouth, our cheekbones, our, our eye sockets to help us form emotions. And so when you're happy, those emotions are formed on your face because you can see it in another person as those muscles start moving around. Those 80 muscles in your face will even help form a frown or furl your brow if you're upset. But it's easy to look at someone and see the emotions on their face. It's easy to look at someone and see the state that they're in at times. Now, right now, it might seem a little weird in my face because that sun is super bright. And I wish we could maybe orient the stage a little different, just pick up the whole plot of land and orient it a little differently, but we're not going to be able to do that. But my face, you can tell, is a little furrowed in my brow, and I'm squinting a little bit because of the, the glare of the sun, the glare off the front of the cars. But it gives a sense of emotion. And as I get excited or I get sad or happy as I talk, the sense of emotion can be seen all over my face. Same thing with the ones we come in contact with and connect with. But now we're asked to hide that emotion with masks. Now we're asked to hide those facial muscles with a mask. And it's a prudent thing to do, right? I don't, I don't like the law in Illinois or the, the order in Illinois that's coming down next week that anytime we go out of our homes, we're supposed to have a face covering. I kind of think it's, right, my body, my choice. Isn't, the, isn't that the old, the old theory? Anyway, I guess that's flown out the window now. 
nothing like being hypocritical in our statements, but at times, right, we, we, we cover our face, we try to dismiss the emotions of life and just go with the herd. And in fact, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 verse 4, we actually see God talking to people in that same situation where they're told just re, don't, don't think about life, don't think about the situation you find yourself in, don't think about the emotional turmoil one way or another, just hide away, hide away all those 80 muscles trying to figure out how they should feel on your face, just hide it away, come to terms with where you are. And God speaks to his people through the prophet and he says this, Thus saith the Lord of hosts of Israel, to all who are to all that are exiled, whom I have sent in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives and sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to marriage, that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray that the to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare will be your welfare, where you will find your welfare. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners or diviners who have, uh, who have among you have deceived you, do not listen to their dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not declare, I did not send them, declares the Lord. And then he goes on into verse 11. I'm going to skip verse 10 here. But he goes on into verse 11. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So he talks to people just like us in a very similar situation. They were in exile, were in quarantine. But it's a very similar idea that the normal patterns of life were put off, that we felt restrained by maybe even an, overpre an overbearing government. These people were living in that, in that stage. He didn't say just take up arms. He didn't say make war. He said live where you're at. Bless the city that you're in. Don't diminish. Expect the increase to come. Why? Because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, I think sometimes we, we see this verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Sometimes I believe we read that scripture and we forget its context. It's spoken to people like us in situations, frustrating situations like we find ourselves in. To say, I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. I know that the 80 muscles on your face might want to furrow your brow. They might want to show off the emotion that says you are frustrated, that it's hard, that it's difficult. But in this moment, mask it for a little while. Because I know my plan. I know my purpose. It's to give you a hope and a future. I know this isn't to your destructed end. I know that tomorrow brings a great and glorious day, but you've got to trust me in the process. And in fact, he even says, I allowed this exile to happen 
please understand, I don't believe that a virus is from God. I don't believe that he was working in heaven's laboratory scheming against humanity to give us a virus that would kill so many people. But I do believe that he foresees everything and that he knows that he can see something even of a devastating nature happen and watch how it changes the life and the landscape of the people of God forever. I think he's big enough to understand that even in our exile or even in our quarantine, that he can give us a hope and a future. If we will take it on our own grounds, not to diminish, not to shrink, not to hide away, but to expand our influence, to grow bigger than we've ever grown, to take more ground, to know that God is on our side because he has a hope and a future that's planned out for us. If we're to guard our heart, we have to know how we're thought of in God's eyes. The Bible here doesn't say that God thinks of us. He says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. That's a totally different phrase. It could have just said, God thinks of you generically from time to time. Like I think of my dog. In fact, right now, when I use the phrase dog, I think of my dog. She's in her cage right now. She's cooped up in that little cage, and I hope that when we get home, I'll let her out. She'll run around a little bit, have a little bit of food, and have a good, happy life. That's about all the thoughts I have for my dog. When I'm cold, I hope that she jumps up on my lap, snuggles with me, keeps me warm. When I'm scared at night, or maybe there's a noise bumping in the woods, I hope that she barks at the darkness and chases away whatever's there. But that's about it. That's all the thoughts I really have of my dog. I'm not afraid of the dark. I just used that because of my kids were here and we were talking about it the other day. But I, that's about it. That's the thoughts I have of my dog. I have thoughts of her. But this scripture says that God has thoughts towards you, meaning that he has thoughts of your intended end. He has thoughts of your intended future. He doesn't just think about us from time to time and say, well, there's my kids. They're struggling for a while. I hope it works out. No, he is, he is orchestrating. He is planning. He is setting us up for an expected hope and an expected end. Even in our moments of quarantine, even when it feels we're exiled from the people that we love, even at, when it feels that we are distanced from those that we draw strength and faith from, even in those moments, he's saying, keep your head up because I have a good and godly purpose for you if you'll just let me handle this for a moment. Most of us didn't grow up in church hearing a message like that. Most of us grew up in church hearing messages like this. God's going to crush you. He's going to break you. He's going to bring you to your breaking point, to the brink. And if you endure, ooh, if you can endure to the end, then you'll be saved. Then once you've experienced the oppressive hand of God, then you'll be saved. And scripture says nothing of the like, even here in the Old Testament, in the prophet sayings of Jeremiah, I have a good plan, a good purpose, a good vision for you. Even in this, this plague that's come, this exile that's come, I knew it, I saw the future, I understood where you would be at, but don't worry, keep your head up, keep smiling, because I have a good outcome on the other side. He says, I know the plans I have for you, to give you a hope and a future, plans not to harm you. How many of us think at times that a plague like this runs through humanity and it's God teaching something? Sometimes we've heard those thoughts, right? Well, God must be teaching humanity something. He must be trying to beat on us somehow in some way. 
In fact, I had an old Bible college teacher that explained how stupid this sounds in pragmatic terms. And he said, listen, if you're the kind of person that believes that God is out to hurt his kids, to teach them a lesson, then your, your prayers shouldn't be shelter me, save me, comfort me, Jesus. You should bend over and say, spank me, Lord. Sounds stupid. It sounds ridiculous. Think about it for a minute. How different would our prayers be if we thought the plague was from Jesus? It'd be like saying, spank me, Jesus, spank me, God, get me right in line and order. Yet we know we serve a good God. We serve a God who has a perfected end for us. And because it's perfect, we might have to walk through some hard and difficult times to retrain, to reshape our character. And he'll allow anything and everything to reshape and to retrain us but it's not because he's trying to hurt us. It's not because he's trying to bring us down. It's not because he's trying to knock us down a peg. It's because he has a good and a godly hope for us that's so much greater than the situation and the circumstance we find ourselves in. If we're to guard our heart, we have to understand how God sees us, how he looks at us, that he doesn't just have a random thought about humanity, but that he has good thoughts towards you, that his thoughts are directed, they're specific that he knows a plan that he's etched out in heaven for you personally. That's why I don't wonder if this thing's going to take my life. I haven't reached the end goal. I haven't reached the end game. And the only way that it could is if I give up. No, I'm going to go for the goal. I'm going to head for the prize. I'm going to accomplish what God put me on this earth to do. And every one of you have the same goal, same destiny in mind, that God's called you to something. He's given you a purpose. This isn't unto death. And that if you will do your best, if you will strive in faith, that God will bring you to that expected end. It won't always be easy. It won't always be easy street, but he'll bring you there. I think for many of us, we have this distant memory that keeps creeping up of our past that tells us why we can't do or what we can't accomplish, that tells us how broken we are physically, spiritually, emotionally, that tells us that we are not good enough. We're not gifted enough. We haven't done enough. We haven't served enough. We haven't sacrificed enough to experience God's glorious end for our life. And the fact is that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. And in fact, Philippians chapter three and verse 13 has this beautiful remark on those of us trying to dig up and remember our past. It says that we forget those things that are behind us. Paul, writing to a church like ours, said, forget what's behind you. Forget yesterday. Forget the stock market crash that happened a few weeks ago. Forget it. I've got a better hope and a plan for you. Forget the first diagnosis that happened in the United States. I've got a better plan for you. Forget the past, even yesterday, because your glorious hope, your future promise in him is what we should be striving for. If we're to keep our hearts and our minds clear and clean, if we're to guard our hearts, because out of our heart flows the issues of life, all the directives of life come from our heart, from our emotional core and center. We have to understand how God thinks about us, that he has thoughts towards us towards our perfected end, towards our beautiful and glorious future. Never come to a place in life where you expect your faith to only work for a future end. Let me explain myself. Faith can't, can't manifest or grow just because we're hoping about a someday. 
a someday occurrence. And we pray things like this. Well, someday God will do this and someday God will do that. And someday God's hand will be here and someday God's hand will be there. And someday we'll see revival and someday we'll see thousands come to Jesus and someday we'll see healings and someday we'll see miracles and someday, 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 and someday never comes. We've perfected in Christianity a faith that is so ready for someday that we forget today. We forget here and now. We forget that God has good thoughts towards us today, now, in our present situation, in our present circumstance. You know that what those folks were going through as Isaiah prophesied as they were being dispersed into exile, he said, go ahead and expand your borders, expand your families, take ground, grow produce, eat the, eat the fruit of the produce, go ahead and do what you normally would do. Be proud to be citizens of heaven, even in an environment that doesn't look very godly. And he told them to continue to take ground. He, he didn't allow them to shrink back because he was trying to imply in them an idea that the best is here, the best is now. We have a sign in the other, other room, the best is yet to come. And that's true because tomorrow is always going to be better. But we understand that we exercise our faith for today. That every morning that we, give up, that we get up, we exercise our faith for that day. That we tell God, I'm going to use up all my faith from the moment I wake up to the moment I go down. I'm going to use all of my faith just to express how much I love you, to encourage other people, to drive my life towards that final promise and purpose that I have in God. But I'm going to use everything that I have in this day to exercise all of my faith and replenish myself for tomorrow. See, we serve a God who tells us in Hebrews that now faith is not someday faith is, not hopefully faith will be, not someday faith will accomplish, but now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. When God spoke this promise through Jeremiah to God's people, when God's prophet spoke his words, he wasn't asking them to hopefully believe someday things would change. He was saying in that moment, right then, right there, things were changing. Whether they understood it, whether they recognized it or not, things were changing. Things were moving. In our lives, we have to come back to that wonderful assurance that things are changing, things are moving. Not because God has a thought about us, but because he has a thought towards us. And those thoughts towards us are good and glorious, that there's a hope at the end of this that we can't even see the full picture of. God's not expecting you to wait. Let me help you with that again. God's not expecting you to wait. How often do we get sick and we go, well, I, you know, I'm just got to struggle through this and God will heal me someday. How often do we look at our bank account and it's not what we anticipated, it's not what it should be, and we think, well, God's just going to teach me a lesson through my poverty. Maybe, maybe he's teaching you better financial management. That could be true. But maybe, just maybe, we need to change our faith motive and understand that even here and now, God can bless us. God can pour into our life. You can be that girl that I had a, an explanation of earlier in the service who gave of herself even in that moment where she didn't have a paycheck coming. She didn't know where that next check was going to come from. She knew that she had to be honest and truthful to the call of God to give. She gave, and in less than a few days, the miracle supply came. Why? Because she was honest enough to believe God in the now. Now faith is. Now things change. Today, God has in his mind my perfected end, my great and glorious future, the promise of provision that he's already died and bled on the cross for. But when will we start to believe it?
God's thoughts towards us aren't memories of a distant past. We as Christians love to live in memories. Well, remember this revival and remember this moment and remember this in the 80s and remember that in the 70s and remember this and remember that. We've got to get away from the memories of the past. Listen, don't be haunted by memories of the past, whether they're good or bad. As Paul wrote, put away those things of yesteryear. Strive for the new goal. Strive for the new high point. Strive for the promise that God has for us. Listen, we enter that building. I'm not going backwards. We're not going to have less people when we open this facility up for the first time and worship God together. We're not going to have less people than we had the last Sunday before COVID. We're going to have more people. We're going to have more of a reach. We're going to impact more families. We're going to impact more lives. We're not going backwards because of some virus. We're moving forward. And in your life, you should be recognizing this point that in everything that's going on, you should be moving forward. Who cares what happens around you? You should be the one getting the the hours at your job. Who cares what's happening in your neighborhood? You should be the one who's getting the bonus and the raise. Who cares what's happening down the street? You should be the one living in health free from this virus, free from sickness, free from disease, because God has a good and glorious hope for you. He has a purpose for you. All the promises that we have in Christ, including what we read in Jeremiah, all of them, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, are yes and amen, meaning he confirms them with a promise. Yes, I've settled it, and amen. It's settled in heaven. It's sure. It's a closed book issue. In fact, when when the writers write things like yes and amen, they're literally saying, listen, it's time to roll up the scroll. It's time to set it aside and understand that's, that's history now being written. That the promise that God's laid out in front of you for a better day, for a glorious hope and a bright future is something that you can roll up, put on a shelf and say, God's already done it. He's accomplished it. It's there. It's ready. It's ready to rock and roll. If I'll just take it in with faith, God's thoughts are hope. God's thoughts are hope. Everything that God has for you, every thought he has for you, every promise he has for you is a hope to inspire you for a great future, for a great plan, for a great destiny that he's called you to. In fact, I believe that when God thinks towards us, the things he thinks are like, what can I do for my kids today? Just like I think for my children, every time I see them, I think, what good thing can I do for my kids The other day, I thought, man, I got to do something for this little noble. His hair is just flopping in his face. I had a good thought towards my son. I don't know if the outcome was so good, but I had a good thought. Now he's got a COVID cut mullet, and I don't know if dad's a good barber, but I had a good thought. You know, God's such a better dad than we are, that if he cuts your hair, it's going to be just right. It's going to be high and tight. It's going to be perfect lines. He's not a dad with a shaky hand. He's a dad with a sure finger who can cut your hair perfectly even when I can't. I needed a little gift of the Holy Spirit to run those trimmers, and I don't think I did a good job. It's a cute haircut. I don't care what you say. God's thoughts for us, that we are his children. They're hope-filled. They're excited. (laughs) And that's him putting on the emergency lights. (laughs) He's agreeing with me. The haircut was a bad idea. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to give you a hope and a future, plans not to harm you. Anytime you think of God during this time, anytime you're trying to guard your heart, anytime you think of his presence, understand he's not moving you to hurt you. He's not pushing on you to hurt you. 
He's not directing and redirecting your life to hurt you. He's not, he's not changing the situation or the scenario to hurt you. He might be getting you out of a job to get you into a better job. He might be moving you out of a neighborhood to get you into a better neighborhood. He might be sequestering you so that your family can come more united than it's ever been. Maybe it's time for mothers and fathers and children to fall in love again with one another, to grow the family unit, to become more dependent on one another as God's design. I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. I don't have time to get into what all these words mean because we're running a little long but his thoughts towards us create a happy and sustainable end. That if we'll understand his purpose, that he is happy with us, that he is hopeful towards us, and that he has a sustainable end for us, that in the end of this, that when this all dissipates and goes away, that he's a God who says, I'm on your side, and I've got good things for you, and I'm not gonna bring you this far to leave you. I'm not gonna bring you this far to leave you without Two questions I want you to ask yourselves today. What do you truly want? What's the end result when this thing's over? Do you want to just go back to life as normal? Do you want to just go back to the way it used to be? Do you want to expand your ground as he told them to do through the prophet? Do you want to expand your ground, take more ground, do more, have more, experience more? Or do you just want to go back to what used to be? Second question I have for you is, why is this important? Why is it important for you to see God and to see the way he looks at you differently? Why is it important for you to experience God at a different level? Why is it important for you to experience his promises as being yes and amen, as being true to form, as giving you a hope and an expected future? Why is it important for us to understand Jeremiah 29, 11, that though they were exiled, though they were quarantined, God spoke up and said, I have a hope for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Today, I want to encourage you, commit that verse to memory. Understand its background. That in moments where you feel distant and alone, in moments where you feel isolated, in moments where you don't understand, God, what's the plan? What's the purpose in all of this? In those moments is when we need to come back to the scriptures and understand what he's saying. I have a plan, I have a purpose, I have a hope. It's not to end you, it's not to hurt you, it's not to harm you, it's to give you a glorious future. Amen.